Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Last week we started a series on revival and reformation. Who enjoyed last week? Who, who, who was not with us last week? Raise your hand if you missed last week. You can watch it online. It was, I went for it last week. That is very true. I'll say this. You've got to understand as, as a born-again believer that uh, the Bible's pretty clear about the fact that we, once you're saved, you're born again by the Spirit of God, you become a new creation. So the old you has passed away, now you're a brand new person. So you didn't just pray a prayer. You literally got born again from above through the Spirit And now you're of the spirit world as well as in this world. So you're in this world, but not of this world. Amen? Amen. That's why the Bible says that you are seated in heavenly places right now. In the realms of God, it is already fully complete. The devil is 100% beaten. You are 100% victorious. And we are seated in heavenly places right now. Amen? Amen? But in the flesh, we're still in the battle. And in the battle, the Bible says that in this world, the enemy is the God of this world. So he has set up a kingdom of darkness in this world. And ultimately, his plan, John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Amen. Amen. And so, as a born-again believer in the world, you have to look around and realize that the enemy, his name is Lucifer, Satan, um, has a strategy and a plan. And it is to enslave every single person, to take everything good from your life and have you living in total bondage. He does that through different things, from addictions, from perversions, from lusts, all the works of the flesh is a way that he can ensnare a life. But ultimately, he does set up governments that oppress people and bring people into bondage. Look at the world today. There are countries that even where Mary is going to be going, that is under total just Um, severe poverty, no rights, no, I mean, people are living in extreme squalor just because of wickedness being in control. And in America, there is a fight to make America just like that, to take all the rights from the American citizens so that we become slaves in our own ground. And that is something that we as the church have to get vocal about. We have to raise up politicians and governors that fear God. And we have to take territory, amen? And you cannot give way. You need to educate yourself about socialism. You need to educate yourself about what's going on in the money system. You need to educate yourself about all this corruption. And wake up and take the red pill and realize there's a lot going on that we have to take a stand against, amen? Things are not getting easier. They're getting more difficult with every generation. And that's not by chance. That's by design. And the only way that turns that is for a real move of God that would shake from every house to the government houses of this land and expose everything done in in dark places. Amen? Amen. You agree with that? Is everybody with me? You say, absolutely. We, We are woke. We are woke people, okay? We are not buying the lies anymore. We know that there is something going on. We may not know everything, but we do believe that if it be exposed that God can turn this land one more time and we can see a move of God that would make the history books cry that they didn't see it. Amen. Come on, somebody. I'd like to greet everybody watching online. I never do this. I feel cheesy, but I love you guys. God bless you guys watching from home. I pray that the glory of the Lord would be in your living room today and that everything you have need of from heaven, may it be brought to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're continuing our series on revival and reformation. I'm just going to uh, be, be honest real quick. I feel in my heart that um, we stand at a truly important time in the history of this nation and in the world as a whole. And I believe that the enemy has a very well laid out plan and strategy that he is ex- executing pretty well right now. And I believe there's a large portion of the church that is still asleep. And that is letting the enemy get away with a lot that he should not get away with. And so it is time for the church to truly wake up, rise up, and begin to do our part. That being said, I believe the church has an obligation in this time to pray fervently like we've never prayed, wake people up, preach the gospel, and stop letting ourselves be pushed around 
by the lies of the enemy. Amen. You got to stand strong, church. And we're in that time where the enemy's either going to gain a lot of ground or he's going to overstep his bounds and the church is going to rise up and we're going to see the ushering in of the most glorious move of God that has ever been in the nation of America. And I, for one, am believing for that. Amen. May it happen soon and swiftly. We are basically, of the next two months, in a fight for this country like you would not believe, people. There is so much riding on what is happening right now. And so much misinformation is being crammed down the throats of every single person so that you don't even know what's up from down right now. The only one that can lead you and guide you into all truth, the Bible says, is the Holy Spirit. That's why if you're here right now and you're just speaking in tongues and you don't know anything about that, study it out. Open your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Romans chapter 8, Ephesians chapter 5, Jude chapter 2. Study the Word of God, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10. And get this in your spirit and realize that there is a real Holy Spirit that was given to the church. As Jesus said, it's good that I go away so that he can come speaking of the Holy Spirit and the Comforter that would lead you and guide you into all truth. Amen. Amen. And how many people are thankful that you know that Holy Ghost and he's in you? Come on. Amen. So we've got the truth. So don't be ashamed of that. And stand your ground and as a believer realize what you say matters. So when you go on a rant and you complain and you whine and you run things down, you're not actually helping anything. That when you feel that rant wanting to come, you actually need to open your mouth and begin to speak the hand of the Lord be upon this nation. Amen? Does that make sense to you right now? In other words, we can be with the same mouth that we, mouth that we can be negative. Death and life is in the power of our tongues. We've got to declare that God will turn the tides and things will change in this nation. Amen? I was watching yesterday... Uh, a clip of Billy Graham, which I recommend everybody go home and you YouTube this right as soon as you get home. But Billy Graham, 1957, the culmination, the final meeting of his uh, uh, New York campaign of the 50s where he rented out Yankee Stadium. And it was literally packed to capacity and overflow, thousands in the parking lot, thousands on the field, over 100,000 people in the, bill, in, in the stadium and even more outside. They said it was the largest attended meeting uh, in America, if you listen to the broadcast and they talk about it. And before Billy Graham got up to speak, the vice president of the United States, which was uh, Vice President Nixon at the time, got up and addressed the crowd and said that the reason why America is as great as it is is because this nation from its foundation has been founded as a nation that honors and loves God. And so how can we go from 1957 to our vice president being in a mass crusade in New York uh, and stadium to look at New York today? We need a move of God to shake this land like never before. Amen. The enemy has played his hand, but God's hand is greater and God's plan is greater. Amen. So who believes that we stand basically at any given moment And it's really already happening that there's such a shaking going on. Man, the power of God is about to be released stronger than ever on this nation. And I, for one, am excited about it. Are you excited that you know Jesus? Amen. All right, let's get into today's message. So, recap of last week. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy's plans and agents are of this world, though. And so that's why forms of government, that's why control, that's why anytime you see... um, overstep of government to take rights away. That is not what Christ came for. You should have the right to make the decisions governing your life. Amen? Amen. You got to believe that. And this generation has been lulled into sleep. Somebody says even about concerning some things like, um, and it's just one thing that people talk about, the whole mask thing. It's not really about mask. It's about the fact that you're trying to make people do something that they don't value. And there's no wrong. And either way, you should have the right to wear a mask or not wear a mask. It's your decision. Would you agree with that? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. But somebody said even about seatbelts. And I'm like, well, that was never the government's job to make you mandate a seatbelt. Come on. I grew up in the South. We used to just buckle the seatbelt and leave it buckled so that we could get in there and not wear a seatbelt. People are like, I can't believe you would admit that from a pulpit. You did it too big heathen you are. Nobody should be able to tell you your, what you can and can't do. That's what freedom is. Freedom is that I get to tell my children how to live their lives and they've got to make a decision. Are they going to grow up honoring mom and dad and serving the Lord? Or are they going to do things the other way? 
But anytime someone tries to manipulate you and make you do something that you don't feel you need to do, that is an overstep of rights being taken away. You with me right now? Is it okay what I'm saying? You're happy still? All right. So that's what we're talking about. The enemy does have a plan to steal rights from people. And it is always subtle. And it is always slow. And over time, he gets a little more control and a little more control and a little more control. Same principle. It's an addiction that when person people give way to addictions, it begins small, takes over till it takes over their entire life. And anybody that's ever dealt with addiction knows this is true. And the only way you get free is through an encounter with God that delivers you from that and wakes you up. Amen? So we got to stand our time. The fruit of the flesh is the devil's playground. Anywhere he's allowed to set up his, his kingdom is when the fruit of the flesh is honored and celebrated. And there is a move in this, in this country right now for us to celebrate sin and it, turn our backs on Christ Jesus and be shamed for it. But we can't celebrate sin. Amen? Amen. you got to celebrate righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on. All right. Said all that just to get you ready for it. We are in a series for revival. I believe that in the end of this month when Charlie comes, my, my heart cry out to the Lord is that we will begin on a Friday and the Lord will blow this thing wide open and we may run for a month just pressing into the presence of the Lord. Amen. I believe that it is time for the church to take a stand. Who believes that? And speaking of a stand, tomorrow night, if you are open to drive through to Tampa, Florida, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown has been doing the stand since the start of June where he's taking a stand, calling churches to open back up, the church to be bold, and it is time to be bold. And we've been invited as a church to minister tomorrow night there. So our River Music will be doing the worship, and I'll be preaching tomorrow night in Tampa at the stand. So if you can come through, come through. Be loud, be proud, be the rowdiest Claremont bunch that there ever has been. Amen. Come on, somebody. Bring a foam finger and, a, and one of those really loud foghorn things. And every time I preach, shake, shout, shake that bush again. And then, bah. let's have fun. Amen. All right. Revival begins with a true burden in our hearts for God to intervene. That's what we talked about last week in Nehemiah. And I'm going to be modeling Nehemiah when we're talking about revival and reformation. But we do need a change in this nation. But it begins with the church getting a heart to pray like never before. When's the last time you answered a call from the Spirit to fast? And pray for things greater than your bank account. Amen. When's the last time that you heard the Spirit lead you into a place where you were praying and, and He took you into realms of the Spirit where you were uttering things on a global scale or on a national level? And that is for the entire church to do. Do you believe that? Come on, that's what the realms of the Spirit are for. Uh, it's God will lead you into a place of prayer as you begin to declare things for this nation. And then you might as well turn on the news because when the church really gets in that place, what we begin to declare is exactly what begins to happen. Amen? And we need an uncovering of things done in the dark right now. So we need a renewal of the church's focus to pray because that's the precursor to revival that we need. I want this to be a church that doesn't gripe or gossip but covers each other in prayer. Amen? Sometimes the church uses its mouth that is meant to pray and intercede to just expose other people's problem in the church. Nobody in this room is perfect. Come on, somebody. Everybody in here has some junk going on that we're ultimately following after Christ to get that junk burnt out. Amen. And thank God that he doesn't give up on us. And thank God that you have been infused with strength from heaven to not quit going after God. Amen. So we pray for each other. We declare blessing and good things because that changes lives. Let's cover one another. Let's pray as a church for this nation, for our leadership of this nation, from the local level all the way to the federal level. And let's make a difference today. Amen? All right, let's begin with the word. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Sam Ballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was standing beside him remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. And may their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. 
I want you, I wanted to begin with this for people to realize. There's been a movement to make the church lose all of its power. Where we don't believe in judgment, we don't believe in the power of blood, of the blood, we don't believe in the cross, we, we lose sight of repentance. To where we just all get lumped into God is a hunky-dory God that frolics through the tulips and loves every person. And if they could get you to believe it, they would make you believe that even the devil himself will be forgiven. And one day we'll all be petting lions in heaven. But the truth is, that is not biblical at all. The biblical truth is that the Bible actually lays out in the New Covenant... That talks about people can get so far gone in their hearts by repressing and searing their consciousness that the God will give them over to a reprobate mind. There's a place where God says you have gone too far and I wash my hands of it because he knows and only he can make that call. But he knows when a person gets so far gone they've gone over to darkness and they will not repent and come back. That's the reality. There's wickedness in this world. Do you believe that? Well, let me tell you something right now. We need an uncovering of that wickedness to take place. A generation has been lulled into not fearing God anymore. But I pray may the fear of God come across this generation as things that are done in darkness be exposed and may justice be seen in this land one more time. Amen. Even this whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein did not kill himself, people. You don't just die. I mean, there's too much junk going on. And it was all a pedophile ring of some major world leaders that are sitting there gloating in their penthouses, getting away with murder right now. And I pray, may the fear of God come back on them. May everything done in dark be exposed. May these perverts be seen to fear the hand of the Lord. Come on. For too long, it gets frustrating as you look at what's going on and be like, people are getting away with everything, and the church is sitting here being told to shut your doors and just wait it out. No! Over my dead body. It's time for wickedness to meet the hand of the Lord. Boy, I felt good. Too long, things have gone unchecked. And the reason is, is maybe the church isn't calling things out like they're supposed to call out. This Nehemiah didn't say, oh, there's people opposing us. God, just pet them, make them feel good, prop them up, bless them so that they would be confused and they would just enjoy it. He said, man, may it come back on them. May everything they've done, may they stand accountable for it. I pray in this nation, from every house where wickedness has allowed itself to be propped up and got away with it, may it be exposed and may justice be seen in this generation one more time. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. It is time. God, let things be exposed. Come on, somebody. Because until it's exposed, it can never be dealt with. Until people are brought to a place where there is no longer an excuse that they can hide behind, it will continue to go on. And I pray that this nation has a heart change in Jesus' name. And sometimes it's the good old-fashioned fear of the Lord that needs to fall on a generation. I met a preacher. He said, I was saved from fear. He said, people preached so hard about what the Lord was going to do. He said, I got up every day and I was scared I was going to die until finally I fell on my knees on the roadside and said, God, I need you in my life. And the Spirit of the Lord met me on the side of the road and called me into the full-time ministry. Come on, somebody. Jesus does love people. He is awesome. He is full of love. God is love. But he also is a just God. And he does not play with wicked things. And if people continue to push that boundary, may God deal with them swiftly. Amen. Are you okay with that? Evil's got to go checked. Evil cannot get away with what it wants to get away with. Not in this land. Amen. So remember this though. Judgment begins in the house of God. And so when we talk about this and we pray God uncover this nation... And everything done in the dark. And it's not just this nation. It's the nations of the world. There has been a long set demonic agenda to enslave mankind and basically take away our rights. And we pray for it to be uncovered. But as a church, your part to play in this too is God first search me. And expose everything in my life that I need to get rid of. Because I fear you over the governments of the world. I fear you over every other thing in my life. Father, I pray that you would inspect my heart and change anything that needs to be changed. It's called repentance. It's not talked about anymore. But repentance matters. 
Even when Jesus came, he was, the, he was the one that brought the message of salvation, mighty. But before Jesus ever began his ministry, God had to supernaturally raise up another man by the name of John the Baptist. That was a miraculous birth himself. His mother couldn't have children, so John was a miracle baby. He recognized Jesus in his mother's womb, and John had one message, and that message was repentance. Because before salvation can come, you're going to have to go through repentance. You can't be forgiven until you lay your life before the Lord and say, God, I have screwed up, I have messed up, and there is stuff in my life that I want you to help me get out of, God. I don't want to hide behind the fact that the, the church as a whole has gone lukewarm. I don't want to hide behind my, my only example is Jesus Christ. That's who I'm trying to be like. And I pray that you would search deep in me so that I could become more like him. And Father, burn out all the junk of my life. Come on, somebody. What junk's in you? It's the junk that you've been looking at. When I was raised in a Christian home, born again probably at four years old, but then lived like total hell because we didn't go to church. So I drank. I did drugs. By the time I was a teenager, listen, I was so seared in my conscience I did not think anything about two people living together that weren't married. I thought that's absolutely normal. And it was only through an encounter with God that opened my eyes to realize that's actually one of the devil's biggest agendas to tear apart the family. Because if he can loosen that, he can weaken the family. And then people are being raised without anybody there around them to take care of them. You say, that's not a problem. It's definitely a problem. The devil tore apart the family. He tears apart the nation because what is a nation but a group of families? And if you can weaken the family, you weaken the nation. And so it took an encounter with God just for me to open my eyes. People here, everywhere we are in America, we have been brainwashed to think like society wants us to think. And the only thing that severs that lie is an encounter with the Holy Spirit and God on the inside to wake you up and realize that is not what this Bible teaches and anything God tells you to do, it might seem like laws. People are like, well, why does God make us do all this? Because it's for a better life. Because it strengthens you, it does not weaken you. Amen? I feel like we need sawdust on the ground right now. I feel like I need an organ player behind me. Let me tell you, revival needs to come, but it begins in the hearts of men and women first. I'm reminded of, of the story of the Isle of Hebrides revival with Duncan Campbell. And I don't know if you've ever studied... The revival it was in the 50s when this took off, broke off in the Isle of, of Hebride chain in Scotland. But it was a glorious revival, one that has been talked about for ever since it happened. It's amazing what God did. People were drawn to the Lord with just a heart laying down their lives. Churches were packed. Bars closed down. It was supernatural. And the speaker was Duncan Campbell, but he wrote later and said, I want to clear something up that the, the revival in Hebrides didn't begin with me. It began before I ever got there. It began with two old ladies that had a heart for their island chain and realized that none of the young people are coming to church anymore, so we need to pray down the glory of the Lord to shake this generation and get them back in the church. Two old ladies began to pray. They had a supernatural vision of a man visiting the island and preaching. After doing the vision, they knew the church that it was, the vision was of. They went to the minister and said, we need to pray together. He got together his leadership and a young man fell on his knees in the middle of a prayer service in a barn and said with the scripture of Psalm 24, he that has clean hands and a pure heart shall ascend the holy hill of God. He said, it seems like hubbub to me for us to pray for a move of God if we don't first search our own hearts and realize, are we people that God can pour through? And in the middle of that prayer service, he lifted his hands and he said, God, search my heart. Find in me, God, if there's anything, burn it out of me. And am I one that you can use to pour out your spirit through? And it tells that the power of God fell on that young man. He fell in a trance. The glory of God hit that barn and it began to flow out of there. The very next time they got to church, people were pouring in. And it began a sovereign move of God where hundreds and thousands of people were radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because... True revival is when the glory of the Lord falls upon a, gener or, or a society or a culture and begins to do heart changes in men and women. We need that in America today. There are gods in America. The gods of America are materialism, secularism, all sorts of junk like that. And the only thing that brings those gods down is a heart change to make Jesus Christ your Lord. Come on, somebody. We need Jesus in this land. Revival begins with the church taking up the burden to say, before God can shake a nation, he's got to shake me. 
So are you one that wants God to shake you? Come on, somebody. Are you willing to lay before the Lord your entire life and say, God, run through it? You don't let anything that is not of you stay behind. You burn out every dross, every chaff, every junk of this world, every thought process that I've been brainwashed to think that's not of you. Get it out of me, God. And may your word be so written upon my heart that I think like God, I act like God, and I move like God. Somebody say amen. The Bible says you've been given the mind of Christ. Why does that matter? Because your mind is a filter. And whatever you begin to entertain up here, it ultimately drops down into your heart. And out of your heart flows the issues of life. That's why the Bible says to guard it. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus is the only one that takes out that stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh. God can take the worst person and turn them into an awesome person. If they would just open themselves up and say, God, I ain't playing games. I don't want to play church. I want to know you. Come on, somebody. Do you want to know Jesus today? Matthew 11, verse 1 through 6. Let's continue with the word. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. And John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? Jesus told him, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Put in context what we just read there, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. He was the one that baptized him and in the crowd looked up and said, behold the Lamb of God. He knew Jesus. But then things got tough in John's life. He was in prison. His head was about to be offered on a golden or a silver platter. So when things get personally tough, sometimes people question God. My challenge to you is we as believers have to get to the place whether things are good or things are tough. We don't question whether or not the Lord has a plan to see us through to the other side. Amen? As one great preacher said, you can't go under for going over. Because when Jesus told him to get in the boat and the storm rose up, he didn't say, let's get in the boat and drown halfway. He said, let's get in the boat and let's go over to the other side. Believe that God is on your side. And though there's a shaking going on in the nations of the world right now, and there is a shaking. If you don't realize there's a shaking, what rock have you been living under? Okay? Walk outside right now. There is a shaking going on in this nation and the nations of the world. That shaking is shaking everything that can be shaken. And the Bible says the only thing that can't be shaken is the kingdom of God on the inside of you. We are of a kingdom unshakable. But that doesn't mean things in your life won't be shaken. Because there are things in your life of this temporal world that can be shaken. And when things get shaken, it is not comfortable. I remember one preacher said, you pray and you ask for the fire of God. He said, you better pray before you even ask for the fire to make sure you want the fire. Because it's not just a good feeling. When the fire gets a hold of your life, it may burn things up that you didn't want burned up. Come on, somebody. For some people, it may burn up your job. It may burn up your career. Maybe you were doing things that were corrupt, and God says no more. When I was saved, I was a drug dealer. Believe it or not, church. Uh, my tithe was pretty big, and the pastor loved me. But then I fell in love with Jesus, and I turned my life around. Come on, somebody. God will take a life. And he'll shake it and he'll burn things out that need to be burned out. There's junk, there's dross, there's lies, there's perversions that have gone unchecked for generations. And we wake up and say, how is the devil getting away with murder? Because the church is playing with it. Because the church has got one foot in the world and one foot in the church saying, God, we want both. We want both the world to love us and you to love us. We want them to accept us and you to accept us. But there comes a place where you got to choose what God you will serve. Is it Jesus? Then want what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And Jesus is not one to play around with sin. He didn't ever tell a person, I love you so much, continue to sin and I'll never turn my back on you. He looked at people in sin and he said, I love you, I forgive you, but sin no more. Make a heart change, church. Come on, somebody. I believe the Isle of Hebrides was shaken. Because a true core of believers said, God, we are not going to play games. We're asking you to begin in us and change what needs change to shake this region and beyond. Father, we are asking you and interceding for this nation to be shaken. But it begins in the house of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Come on. Is this okay right now? I feel like I'm preaching like it's 1957 all of a sudden. 
Now listen, when, when John the Baptist questioned because things were tough, Jesus responded with the supernatural signs and wonders that he was doing. People were being healed, people were being delivered, and the gospel was being preached. In fact, what I'm saying is Jesus confirmed who he was by what he did. So what are we doing as a church? Are we confirming to this world that what we say we believe, we believe by what we do? Or are we just saying we believe something? We've gone to a place where if you stand in faith, people will call you foolish now. And it is foolish to walk on water unless Jesus says walk on water, then it's faith. So you've got to know the word and you've got to stand on the word, amen? And know that when you stand on the word, there will be people that call you an idiot and a fool for standing on the word. But that doesn't change the power of the word. Amen. Are you with me right now? Amen. Anybody in here ever been mocked for believing in Jesus? Well, it's probably going to get even more intense. But praise God, you're on the winning side. So mock all you want. I'm still sticking with Jesus. Because you weren't there the day that he saved me. And you don't know the person that I was, but I know. And I know that everything he says he does, he's done it in me and through me. And I thank God for that, and I'll never lose that. Jesus confirmed his ministry, and more importantly, who he was by what he did. Then perhaps we ourselves should strongly consider all that we are doing. Revival is the church becoming more like Jesus. It's not just a group of meetings. It's becoming more like Jesus. Amen? He's our great example. It's not a preacher. It's not, we're not trying to model a preacher. We're not trying to model the ultimate average of the church right now. If you try and model the average of the church, you're not really setting your bar very high, <laughs> unfortunately. And I love the bride. I love the church. I'm not trying to mock the church, but I'm saying we need to wake up because we say, God, what's going on? And God's saying, look, man, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on my bride to take its place because the Bible says he's coming back for a glorious church, a, a bride without spot and without blemish. I used to preach a message. I had this white suit, and I put a stain on the back of it. And I'd preach half the message with a big stain on my suit just to see so that everybody would be talking about why he's got this stain on his suit, and he doesn't even know about it. And then halfway through the message, I'd say, that's you. Because you're, you're going around acting like you're all this and all that, but meanwhile, you haven't dealt with the junk in your own life, and you think you're getting away with it, but everybody else can see it. And the world mocks the church because we don't stand in the power we're supposed to stand in because we played games for too long. We tried to do everything. And it ultimately, it comes down to a place where true revival is laying down your heart before the Lord and saying, God, I need you today and every day, not just Sunday. And I need you to change me on the inside so that I can be what I'm supposed to be. Amen. Living like God wants you to live without God helping you is impossible. <laughs> So you need Jesus. Amen? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The evidence of revival is not just miracles. But more importantly, it's actually lives being changed. It's God taking a person that was suicidal and turning them into the most joyous person in the room. It's God taking an addict that was, his life was going nowhere and severing every one of those addictions off them and turning them into a preacher to shake a generation. It's God taking a marriage that's on the cuff of total destruction and ruin and turning it back into one of the strongest marriages that is praying and laying hands on other married couples and seeing them to completion. It is God taking what everybody in the world says is too far gone and turning it into something that makes people wonder, how is that even possible? That's the God that we serve. Somebody say amen. That's who we serve. God's an awesome God. Revival is that. It is lives being transformed. It's not just a, a leg being healed or an arm being healed. It is that. But beyond that, it's God taking a heart and giving it a brand new life. Scrubbing off all the junk. Taking the old things the way people think and turning them and setting them free. Man, God is in the business of deliverance. Amen. A friend of mine was preaching in Atlanta, Georgia. He looked out in a crowd and there was a person in the building. And this is going to make some people shake. And he didn't know anything about this guy, but when he looked at him, the Lord was like, run out there and punch him right in the gut. So he, 
You better hear from God. Amen. He ran out there and punched this guy. He didn't know that this guy had been dealing with homosexuality for 12 years of his life. When he punched this guy, it literally left him in a single instant. Supernatural deliverance in that moment. The guy turned and looked at a woman beside him and was attracted to her and married that woman as a leader in that church today. Let me tell you something, guys. We serve a supernatural God, and there's no plague, and there's no thing that this world tries to jam down your throat and say, God can't deal with. God can deal with anything. All you got to do is get real with God and say, I'm coming after you, Lord, and I'm not going to stop till I get every promise that the Bible says I'm supposed to get because it's for me. It's for my generation. It's for my family. Amen. Come on. It's life's being changed. People dealing with hidden sin. Being the devil beating you up, telling you you're never going to be the person that God has called you to do. For years you go through the, through the cycles, over and over again, and nobody getting changed. I was talking to a preacher one time in a church that we love. My wife and I were at, serving in the church, doing all sorts of stuff, but he never gave an altar call. He didn't give an altar call because he was scared it would offend someone to give an altar call. And if you offend them, then you can't grow the church. And the church was growing fine, so cut out altar calls, and we're going to continue to grow. One day he came to me and my wife and just in his personal frustration, he looks at us and he says, man, I don't get it. This person's been coming to this church for three years and they still have crystals and worship, Buddha and all of these things, but they say they love the church. Why is it that they've never changed? And in my heart of hearts, I knew it's because you've never brought them to a place where they make a decision what God they're going to serve, but you've got to make that decision. The Bible says, well, I believe in God. That's not enough. The Bible says even the demons believe. you got to do more than believe. you got to repent. you got to convert. you got to say, Jesus, here I am, and I need you, and I give you everything, and I turn my back on sin, and I turn my back on hell, and I'm following you, God. It's a decision that every generation has to be presented with. God has always faithfully raised up a voice in every generation to challenge them with those words. Choose what God you will serve. And in every generation, the devil masks himself and changes his name and his tactics, but he remains the same to enslave mankind and pervert your thoughts to where you spend your entire life going after fruitless endeavors when God says, come to me and I will give you a brand new life. Hallelujah. It's repentance. So what is repentance? Well, it's ugly. You know it is. Anybody that's ever looked at someone truly in repentance, you know they're repenting. There's snot, there's tears, there's just craziness going on. You never looked at that and thought, man, that's beautiful. It physically, it's beautiful in the spirit. But it's, it's sticky, it's messy. Even Paul said, my language and my message was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Stirring in the minds and the hearts of the hearers the most holy emotions. What's he talking about? It's an emotional thing to lay down your life to the Lord. Because the Bible says in Proverbs to lean your entire personality on Christ. Trust not in your own self, but lean your entire personality upon God. What is that? That's how you feel. That's your emotions. That's your thoughts. That's your physical body. That's your talents. That's your wealth. That's everything that makes you up. The Bible says give all of that to God. So you say, well, we can serve God, but we don't have to get in the mess of the emotions of it. You better believe you're going to get into some emotions with it. Every relationship you have in your life of any clout and any value has emotions attached to it. You know it's true. My wife can push buttons more than all of you guys can push buttons. There's a lot of emotions between us. Amen. We can go from rah to aw in 2.3 seconds. Because we have a deep relationship. Say, if you, I remember one time I was reading the word and I came on, on, upon the scripture where it says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I read it and the Holy Spirit nudged me. And he said, Son, if you ever read that and it doesn't stir in you a passion and a drive, you are being filled with the wrong thing. You've stuffed yourself on this world and you need to make room for the Holy Spirit once more. Let me tell you something. Does the things of God excite you? What do you feast upon right now? Are you feasting upon the CNN articles and the news reports? Or are you feasting on the wonder and the glory of God? Come on. Are you pouring into the word and it being like meat to your spirit? Or are you looking on social media and finding your satisfaction through likes? Come on. 
People say, we don't do that. Everybody's doing that right now. It's because it's literally a demonic agenda to choke the life out of society. But you got to get to a point where you say, not me, God. Not me. I'm sick and tired of being led astray by the enemy, and I'm not going to buy into a lie anymore. And God, I'm asking you to go deep in my heart right now and burn out everything that needs burn out. The Bible even says twice in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to the heart of man, but in the end thereof is death. Twice it warns us that you can think it's right in your heart, but if it ain't of God, it's still leading you to death. Say, how do I deal with that? It comes a surrender to Christ Jesus to say, go where the hand of man cannot go. Father, I'm giving you my life. I remember when I got saved, I told the Lord these words, and maybe you should tell him the same thing. It's a tough word, but this is what I told him. I said, God, I want to serve you all the days of my life, and I ask for you to keep me on the shortest leash possible. Because if I take even one step in the wrong direction, I would like you to pull me back in line that very day. Because I don't want to spend 10 years of my life going and chasing after something I've never been called to chase after. I want to give you every day, every breath, every second. And have I been true to it? No. Because the flesh rises up, jerks you around, messes with your head. You get all out of line and then you come to the service like this and you fall on your knees and you're like, Jesus, here I am. I can't tell you how many altar calls I've responded to. Even when I'm the one giving the altar call, I'm responding to it. People are like, you pray passionately every time you lead them to the Lord. That's because I'm leading myself to the Lord again. Father, I pray right now that that moron would turn his life around. It's like you got to get real with this thing. People say, how many times do you need to respond to the altar call? As many times as it takes. Until you find yourself in heaven, respond to altar calls. Amen? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Keep that sensitivity. Never lose that. Repentance matters. People say, God, bring this nation back to God. Absolutely. And it begins in the church. So let's get back to God. Amen? Let's get back to some good old God-fearing, Holy Ghost shouting, Bible-toting, devil-stomping, good old times. Body-healing, miracle-showing. Let's get back to the time when we don't need smoke and we don't need lights and we don't care what time it is and we don't care if it's Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Friday. We just care if there's people there and God is in the place, we are in the place. Come on, somebody. I prophesy this nation is about to be shaken by the hand of God one more time. Just as I watched Vice President Nixon spoken, I thought, it's coming. It's coming to this nation where we're going to see politicians backing the church instead of the church having to back the politician. It's time for the politicians to turn their hearts to God and chase after Jesus. It's time for this nation to see God-fearing people. Amen. I remember Charles Finney preaching in the first great awakening. He was preaching in Washington, D.C. And the president of the United States showed up to the meeting. And they came and told Charles in the back room as he prayed, the president is on the front row. And he just sat there and said, okay. And he kept praying. They said, sir, the president's on the front row. He said, I'm not stopping praying this meeting with the most important leader of all to just meet a lowly man that's leading a nation. My, my commitment is to God and God alone. Come on, somebody. Where is the God-fearing people of this nation? Mm. Life's being changed. I'm all about that. You know, when we started this church, the Holy Spirit gave me three things. He said, Caleb, I want this church to stand for three things. Proclamation, transformation, and consecration. Proclamation is the preaching of the gospel. You can't see people changed if you don't preach the gospel. You can't counsel a demon out. You can't sit there and patty cake them and make them feel good about the torment going on in their life. The only thing that drives it out is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked into a crowd, demons cried out. Why? Because they couldn't contain themselves. Because he was the epitome and the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. That's your job now. Come on, somebody. We, we do outreaches all. We've, we've given bicycles away, cars away. We give backpacks away we do hallelujah nights and people attack us how dare you do something on halloween that's the day of the devil not in our book read the bible nowhere in those the bible does it say give the devil one day a year never in the bible does it say when darkness wants to move hide inside the church and just give them 24 hours and then come back out that's not in the bible 
So why do you do something on Halloween? Because the devil doesn't get one stinking day around here. No. You want to be dark on that day? We're going to get out there and we're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to have people ask Jesus into their heart. And we're going to lay hands on people. That's what we stand for. You say, why do you do it? To preach the gospel. We just show up places and every plan is, why are we doing this? So we have an opportunity to preach the gospel. That's basically what it comes down to. Why are you giving backpacks away? So we can preach the gospel. <laughs> why you have a hallelujah night? So we can preach the gospel. You got to preach the gospel. If you preach the gospel, people will be transformed. How many people in here, you heard Jesus, and before your mind even knew what was happening, your heart was starting to loosen, and you were responding, and your head was telling you, don't go forward, don't go forward, don't go forward, and you're sitting there like, what am I doing, what am I doing, what am I doing? You know it's true. That's the truth of the gospel. Your mind's saying, sit down, shut up, run out the building, and your heart's like, yes, Jesus, because the gospel's a heart message, not a head message. It breaks the yoke of bondage on you. That's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And only when you preach the gospel do you get that response. And then transformation. When you, when you open your heart to God, he will change your life. You will not even recognize yourself. I tell people all the time when they respond to the, to the altar call, you give God one year of your life. Or you come after him. You go to church every Sunday. You read your Bible throughout the week. And you give God one year. You will not recognize your life in one year's time. Because that's how good God is. He will take and change everything in your life. It is going to get better. Just like we said. He keeps, getting on, he keeps on getting better. Amen. But consecration. That's the real one. That's the one where God is looking for people in every generation to take their place and answer their calling. It's a God-given destiny to every single person that has ever been birthed on this planet Earth. Nobody, nobody has ever been born by accident or by chance. In fact, even me, my mom had her tubes tied and then found out I was pregnant. She was pregnant with me, not I was pregnant. That is a miracle. And so my family always would tell me growing up, you're, you're the miracle kid. You weren't supposed to happen. But the Lord had a plan. And even after what should have been the end of me having kids, you were born. Why? Because every person under the sound of my voice, watching online, anywhere in the world, if you watch it now or you watch it later, God has an assignment for your life. And to answer that assignment is the greatest thing you will ever, ever do with your life. And it may not be the life that your mind planned out for you. It may be not the things that you thought it was going to look like. But it is the greatest life that you could ever have. That is consecration. And consecration is only at the end of a long road of, Father, I give you everything I am. And I ask you to hold nothing back and go deep on the inside of me. It is a process, church. Come on, somebody. It's a process. You heard the gospel. You asked Jesus in. Your life began to change. But then repentance is that road of laying down your life and learning to hear his voice. Repenting of sin, repenting of addiction, then repent, repenting for the times you missed him. Repenting for the times you hardened your heart when he spoke to you and you said, that's embarrassing, not today, God. I don't want to do that. And then you push, push, push until you get to a place of such surrender to God that you say, God, I don't care. I will look like a fool because at least I'm foolish for you. Amen. Come on, who am I talking to right now? You've been on that journey. See, repentance is not a place to live in. It's not like you're supposed to live perpetually feeling like a worm, okay? I'm not trying to tell you that you should feel like a loser every day of your life and cry out to the Lord just to give you mercy one more time. But repentance is the airport on the way to the flight to lead you to your calling. And until you truly get real with God where you're laying down and saying, God, I am not joking. I have screwed up. I have messed up. I have been selfish. I have hurt people. I have allowed my mind to wander places, and I have seared myself to your heart, and I'm laying myself before you and saying, God, right now, you don't let me go until you're done fixing things on the inside of me. Come on, somebody. That's repentance. It's deep. It's awesome. It's messy. It's loud. I heard one preacher say this modern church we always play music at the end just so we can hide the fact that you don't hear the sound of repentance in the church anymore. Huh. When I heard that, I thought, bro, that's harsh. But maybe it's true. You know, they used to design churches with altars up at the front where you would kneel down 
because it was a regular thing during the sermon that people would make their way to the front and drop to their knees and cry out to the Lord. Now we design churches with steps because it's all about getting up higher in front of men instead of dropping lower before the Lord. What has happened to America? I'll tell you what's happened to America. The church fell asleep and the church began to buy into the lies of materialism and secularism over the pursuit of God and godliness. It, came, it bought into the lies of the fact that you can sear yourself and God's going to always forgive you and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And even if you screw up every day of your life, heaven is still waiting for you. What happened to a God-fearing generation that drew so close to God that didn't ask themselves, how far can we go and still get away with it, but rather ask themselves, how close to God can we draw and not be taken yet out of this world? Where's the people like, where's the people like Enoch that drew so close to God they were no more? And people say, well, Enoch's from another time period. Enoch was his dad. He had children. He had to take care of things and farm. He was busy just like any person, but he found time to draw so close to God that he was taken off of this planet. Somebody think about that. Say, does God do that now? I mean, I haven't known anybody to disappear like that. (laughs) But it happened, and that's the God that we serve. Hebrews chapter 6, is this okay? Are you with me right now? We're talking about a move of God, but for a move of God to come, the church has got to stop playing games, man. We've got to realize, man, we have got to get to a place in Christ Jesus that's going to take some effort to get to and some laying down of ourselves and just saying, God, I want you to just put me under and keep me under until you do everything that you need done in me. Amen? Amen? And then be committed. To read your words, study your Bible, make the right decisions, and guard your thoughts. What does that mean? It means every junky thought that comes in your mind, you got to bind that thing. Come on. I pull every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. When it comes, you're like, nope, I bind that thing in Jesus' name. I'm not thinking that way. I'm speaking the word of God. I have the mind of Christ Jesus. I have his spirit on the inside of me, and I will follow God. And then you be the one to make a difference everywhere you go. Amen? So the Bible in Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 2 says, Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, and let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are six irrefutable requirements for a church or a young church and six stepping stones for a mature church. Repentance, faith in God, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection, and judgment. These are the core beliefs of the church of Jesus Christ. It all begins with repentance. So we've got to go through that place of repentance in our lives. And how do you know when you need to repent? Well, when you first come to God, you need to repent. As you're serving the Lord and you seared yourself and you stopped obeying along the way, you need to repent. Anytime you feel like there is something between you and God... You need to lay that life down before the Lord and say, take this junk out of me so that I'm free before you once again. Amen? Amen. That's when repentance matters. Repentance is the true evidence of God-breathed church-received revival. People having heart and mind changes. In the Bible, the Greek word used for repentance means to change your mind and to turn around. The Greeks in their philosophy saw repentance as a change of your mind and the way you think. The Jews used a different word in the Hebrew that literally meant the manner of physically turning around because they saw it as you'd lived your life with your back towards God and now you chose to turn and to face him once and for all. Both terms used in scripture are accurate for us. Repentance is the changing of the way you think and your mind process. You once lived with you as the center of the world, but repentance makes Christ the center of your world. You once ran your life however you wanted at that moment, but now you've turned to look to the one that directs your steps for his glory. Repentance is that, turning to face Christ and no longer running from him. Anybody in here try to run from God? It's like running on a treadmill. It's totally useless. No, I'm joking. I run on a treadmill. There is value in that. You're getting nowhere. You cannot outrun God. People say, I ran from God 40 years. And where did he get you? Nowhere. If I had turned 40 years ago, I would have been in exactly the same place that I am 40 years later. That's the truth. Because when God gets a hold of you, man, he doesn't let go. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance, church. But when you repent, 
it begins the new journey of your life that will always be the best journey you could be on. Amen? Amen. Let God in deep, church. Let God in deep. People that are quick to repent are also those quick to forgive because it's the same principle. Evelyn Roberts said the key to a good marriage is two good forgivers. If you can't forgive other people, you're probably not one that's ever going to repent. But when you get to a place where you begin to forgive other people, you have no problem repenting or it's vice versa. When you repent, you have no problem forgiving other people because you've acknowledged the fact that you yourself have messed up along the way and you've asked God for forgiveness yourself. So you're quick to forgive because you've been forgiven much. The church has a problem going on in its heart right now where we've just pushed aside every true conviction of the Holy Spirit that we can push out to just have professional church that doesn't get messy. I was preaching in Alaska, and a man jumped up screaming, it's me you came here for, it's me you came here for. He'd be coming to the services drunk every night that week, so drunk, and he was playing on the worship team drunk. And I, I, I thought about kicking him off the worship team, but then another part of me was like, at least he's coming to church. But he was playing the drums and he couldn't even keep the right beat rhythm because he was drunk. So he was like, he starts screaming out, runs up to the, build, uh, to the front of the platform. Before he even gets up there, the power of God laid this man on the floor and he just sat there crying out to the Lord. And his mouth, he just began to cry, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And it's like the power of God hit that church building. People began to slump down in their chairs all around the place. The power of God shook that region. It was like a glorious revival that broke out in that entire city. People were changed by that because repentance changes things. When people truly encounter the Lord, you take a drunk that has ran from God for 50 years and turn them on fire for the Lord. It becomes a sign and a wonder in that area that God is doing supernatural things. Amen. A man in that building that night, that same night that had been coming all week long, sat there night in, day in and day out, never responded to the altar call, just sat there. But that night when I gave an altar call, he ran forward, gave his heart to the Lord, fell under the power of God, cried and hugged his daughter. The next day I come to find out, I hear the story that this man was so bitter and so angry in life that he plotted to kill his brother on Saturday as soon as his brother rode in on the ferry, he had a gun. He was walking down there. He was going to shoot his brother and shoot himself. He had planned it all week long. And that night, Friday night, God shook him in that building. After a man cried out to God, he opened his heart. The glory of the Lord came upon him. All that unforgiveness was washed off of him. And he ran to his brother the next morning and hugged him and said, I forgive you. I love you. Listen, the daughter... The daughter, I remember two years later, the daughter tagged me on Facebook saying, I want to give glory to God today because my uncle and my dad would not be here today if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Ghost. That's absolutely real. And God changed his heart. My family's still serving God and still going to church today. That is what revival is. We need that in America. Come on, somebody. We need a true move of God. We need people to have heart changes. Or they're no longer the same person they once were. Blaise Pascal, a minister of the gospel, said there are two kinds of people in the world. The righteous who understand themselves to be sinners. And the sinners who believe themselves to be righteous. Truthfully, the church's job is to always say, God, begin in us. Work in us. Change us. And then use us. And embolden us to preach your gospel and stand true with clean hands and a pure heart. Amen. Closing, Psalm 24, 3 through 8. Wrapping up with this. I know it's getting late. If you're starving right now, I pray that the Lord would fill your belly with supernatural meat. Lord, have mercy on them right now. Give them a Holy Ghost snack from on high. Amen. Give them a heavenly cupcake, as we like to talk about around here. <laughs> or filet mignon, in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 24, 3 through 8 says, Who may climb the mountain of God and who may stand in this holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Interlude, open up ancient gates, open up ancient gates, and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle.
Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives. 